On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to look at what the Bible teaches us and what uh, just common sense teaches us about how to obtain a authority from the Scriptures. Yeah, we talk a lot about Bible authority. I, I went back, Jacob, in our archives, and I think we've discussed this topic at least nine times over the years on virtual Bible study. But it is one of the most very fundamentally important questions in the religious world. And really, it's just the question, how do we go to the Bible and from the Bible determine what God wants us to be doing? It's important that we do what God wants us to do. How do we determine that from the scriptures? We're going to talk about it and we're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February 4th, 2000, February, oh, April 4th, 2019. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, I'm behind this schedule. way off schedule here. Thanks for being here tonight. April 4th. April 4th. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Thank you, Jacob. Good to be with you. Kyle's here. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here. Glad that you're here. And I uh, look forward to hearing from you tonight at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We're in the chat room. Lots of folks signing in there tonight and listening. We appreciate you listening. Hope you'll take a minute to send in a comment in the chat room tonight. If nothing else, tell us where you're listening and and uh, uh, give us a little update on your location. All right. So tonight we got a very important topic that we want to discuss, and that is how do we go to the Bible and find out what God wants us to do? You know, it's, we it's, talk a lot about Bible authority, but sometimes I think it's maybe important to even simplify it beyond. Uh, that's a pretty simple statement, Bible authority, authority from the Bible. We're talking about how we are authorized to do what we do uh, in regards to God and serving him, not only in our corporate congregational work and worship, but in our private lives. How do we know what God would have us to do. That's what Bible authority is all about. Jesus said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Jesus said, if you're not obeying me, then I'm not your Lord. And if he's not our Lord, then he won't save us. So I need to be doing what God or what Jesus said to do. How do I know then from the scriptures what Jesus wants from me? Exactly right. If, if he is our Lord, then that implies that he, he has authority he has control he is the one in position to tell us what to do uh, in the very first sermon on the day of pentecost in acts 2 uh, peter said let all the house of israel know surely that god hath made that same jesus whom ye have crucified both lord and christ so he's lord and christ christ means the anointed one he is the promised messiah it is it it is a description descriptive term suggesting all blessings and salvation come through the Christ, but He is Lord and Christ, and Lord is a statement of His authority. Right, and so we have to submit to the authority of Christ. Absolutely, uh, and it is God's will that all of His uh, all of the followers of Christ be unified in John chapter seventeen, verse seventeen. Uh, sanctify them through thy word, the word thy word is truth. Uh, and then um, and that verse 21, verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe 
on me through their word, that they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou sent me. God, or Jesus wants his followers to be unified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul put it this way, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that right. you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so there's a demand for unity among the believers. Well, how are we going to get that unity if we're not all doing the same that, things, all and, being obedient to Christ? And that would suggest that we have to agree upon the rules of the game, so to speak. If we went out to play a ball game and and the two teams had completely different sets of rules, maybe the boundaries, the inbounds, in out-of-bounds, you know, and 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 how how the game was going to be played it would be chaos there would be no success in playing a simple ball game if we couldn't agree upon what are the rules that we're going to, that we're playing by well the scriptures are the rules that we're to play by religiously and in service to God and and the only way that we can come to unity and be successful in doing this is to agree upon what does the bible tell us to do and so we want to look tonight at how do we determine that it's very important it's very serious you know, even in the first century, which is amazing, people living in the times of the apostles and contemporaries of Christ, they were already diverging on what they were teaching and what they were practicing, drifting away from the scriptures. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, uh, or verse 6, Paul says, I marvel you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel which is not another, but there be some that per- trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than what you have, we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And so even in the first century, they were starting to drift away from what Christ wanted from them, and they were condemned for that. And we don't want to do the same today. We want to make sure that we're following the teachings of Christ, that we're living as he would have us to live, that we're obeying him in every aspect of our life. And so tonight, since it is so important that we do the instructions that Christ has left for us, we want to talk about how do we go to the scriptures and determine those. Because, you know, if God wants us to live a certain way, then it only makes sense that he would tell us how to do that. And he has in the Bible, but there are lots of ways that we need to look at the Bible to understand what God's will is. Back in the Old Testament times in, in uh, Judges chapter 21, see, I believe that's Judges 21. I believe I'm right about that. Judges 21, 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So there was no king, no authority figure, and therefore everybody did just what they wanted to do. Yeah. Well, that sort of describes the religious world of our day. People have submitted to the authority figure who is Christ, and they're just doing what they want to do. And that's, ne- that's never going to get the job that done. That reminds me of Proverbs 14, verse 12. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So people were doing whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. They're doing that today. Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, you do that. You're going to be punished eternally for that. The, the end thereof is the ways of death. We hear it in the religious world all the time. You talk to people about religious things. Well, I just don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't understand why God wouldn't want me to do this. Seems like that would be a good idea to me. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There's all kinds of danger when we start down that road of, well, I'm going to do what seems right. 
we got to go to the scriptures. What do the scriptures say is right? What does God say he wants from us, not what do you think is right? And, of course, the, the passage or the verse that we always use about authority is Colossians 3.17. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of, which is an expression that means by the authority of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So everything is to be based upon authority. We're not supposed to do anything for which we have no authority. And and so it's really important when we come to the scriptures, how do we how do we read the scriptures and draw out from that the authority of the Lord? What does he want us to do? And and the source of that authority is very important. As you mentioned, we're to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus by his authority, by his instructions, not what a good friend told me, not what my parents might have told me, not someone that I looked up to religiously, a priest or a pastor or a preacher or some older Christian that I really respected, we got to go to the Scriptures. The Scriptures have to be our only source of authority. And that also would rule out, then, any kind of creeds or catechisms or other doctrines of men or doctrinal handbooks. The Bible has to be our source of authority. I need to be able to go to the Bible and show that what I'm doing, I, the God approves of it. God wants me to do this from the Bible. Remember back in Romans chapter 14, Paul says that they uh, that we need to be careful about doing all that we do by faith. He says, um, he that doubteth is damned of eat, verse 23 of Romans 14, because he eateth not of faith. For whatever is not of faith is sin. If I do something and it's not by faith, it's sin. So if I can't have faith and confidence that this is what God wants me to do, then Paul says that sin, well, Romans chapter uh, Romans chapter ten uh, verse seventeen verse seventeen says faith cometh by hearing and hearing exactly. by the word of God. So I've got to be able to go to the word of God and say yes, this is what God said for me to do. I'm doing this because that's what God wants. I have faith that this is right. If I can't do that, then Paul says that's sin. Yeah. All right. Exactly right. So. Hopefully we've been able to just point out how important this topic is. And as I said, we've covered it a number of times on the virtual Bible. So we want to do a little bit different approach to it tonight. Uh, we want to, we want to look how Jesus and, and the apostles both in taught and applied Bible authority. So we've called our topic tonight principles of Bible authority exemplified in the life of Jesus and the apostles. Earlier today to our update list, I sent out some questions. Get on our update list if you're not. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. And that's just an email you send out early in the day on Thursday so people know what the topic's going to be. Yeah. Can start thinking about that. Yeah. And uh, you ask some questions that maybe help with the discussion. Exactly right. So if you're not on that list and getting that update, send us an email and we'll put you on our list. But we asked first, comment on the methods of determining Bible authority. Direct command, plain statement, approved example, implication, and inference. Is there any other method really that can be used, even in secular matters? How, if I, if you were, if you were working for me, how would I convey to you what I wanted you to do? Are there any other ways? I don't, I don't think so, but we'll see. Number two, give examples from the life of Jesus in regards to the above mentioned methodologies. Number three, give examples from the apostles in regards to these methods of establishing Bible authority. Number four, what should be our approach when the Bible is silent on a matter? Number five, explain the difference between specific and general authority. And number six, what are expediencies and when do they factor into the question of authority? So we have to go kind of quickly if we're going to cover all those bases. 
But I want you to think about how we convey information. In other words, if I want someone to do something, how would I do it? I, I had a written, I, written, I had written down an example, Jacob. It's, it's Saturday morning. The kids are gathered around the TV watching cartoons. Okay. Their rooms are a mess, and mom needs help cleaning up their rooms. How does she let them know that they should be cleaning up their rooms? Well, first, maybe she sets an example. She busies herself. She's, she's really busy cleaning the house, and she hopes they'll see what she's doing and do the same, follow her example. That's one way that she could show them what to do. It doesn't work. So next, she makes a, 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 she says something that implies a consequence. Kids who don't help with cleaning don't get to go outside and play. In other words, so there, she implies something. There'll be a price to pay if you don't clean your rooms. She wants them to infer from what she has just implied. They better get busy cleaning their rooms. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work. So then uh, she makes a plain statement. Your rooms are a mess, and they they need cleaned up, and I need your help. That's just a plain statement of fact. The rooms are a mess. She needs help. Maybe the kids still don't act. Then finally, she says, get up from that couch, turn off the TV, get to your rooms, and don't come out until they're spotless. That's a command. That's right. Now, what else would what other method could mom have used in that scenario? She set an example, hoping they'd follow it. She implied some consequence if they didn't act. She made a statement of fact concerning the realities of the situation. Finally, she made a direct command to the kids to get up and get busy. Is there anything else that could have been done? And I actually think the answer is no. I don't know any other way that we convey information and tell people what they need to be doing. Jared down in Valdosta, Lake Park, Georgia, sent in his comments tonight, and he said there are none that work when you ask if there's any other method that can be used. He said none that work. He says these are only not only common sense ways to understand God's will, but are also the methods used by God's people with his approval throughout time. And we can find examples of people yeah. who did that. And, and, that's, a good and, point and, and that's a good good point, Jared. And we're going to go to that in a minute and show that Jesus himself used those methods, and the apostles used those methods. Yeah, thank you for that comment tonight, Jared. Kent's down in Georgia. Boy, all three of our listeners from for our comments tonight are from Georgia. The state of Georgia does us right on the virtual Bible uh, On study. submitting comments, yes, at least. they do. It, yeah. Kent says uh, statements including commands, examples, and implications or inferences are principles of critical thinking that are necessary components regarding all areas of communication that have always applied to everyday life situations. Most individuals have no problems with these concepts until it comes to the study of the Bible. The reason such becomes problematic to individuals is because they desire to look at the Scriptures subjectively rather than objectively. Objective thinking as it relates to the Scriptures necessitates the recognition above the, uh, of the above principles. God has always communicated his word to us by statements, including commands, by showing us what he desires, examples, and by implications which are ascertained by necessary inferences. Thank right. you for that, Kim. So, in answer to our first question, it's just pretty clear that we, we don't know how to communicate other than these ways. That's how we communicate, and that's how God has communicated to us. All right. Uh, 877-381-4567, questions at com. 
when we get back, we need to talk about some examples of of where Jesus did just what we have talked about yeah. in his life. Yeah. And uh, we're going to get to that on the other side of the break. It's very, very critical that we do what God told us to do. Luke 6, 46, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. We need to know what does Jesus want from us in our lives. We're looking at how do we get that uh, from the Bible? How do we go to the Bible and learn what God and Jesus want from us so we can uh, submit our will to theirs? 877-381-4567. We'll be back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Here's some quotes worth pondering. No man has a good enough memory to make a successful liar. Truth is not always popular, but it is always right. Human beings, by changing the inner attitudes of their minds, can change the outer aspects of their lives. Other people see your deeds. God sees your motives. Man, wish I'd said that. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight as we look at the Bible and and how do we get authority or instructions for our lives out of the Bible. Because... God's will is revealed there, and God's will is for our good. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24, it's for our good always. And so I ought to be looking to the Bible and trying to figure out everything that God wants me to do. I ought to be, I ought to be hungry and thirsting after righteousness. Uh, I ought to be going to the Bible and, say, and trying to determine what is God's will for me in my life. And we're looking at how I can determine that from the scriptures tonight. Okay, so let me walk through my note. I got some notes here about how I think Jesus used these very methods we've been describing. Jacob, you get ready to, to show the examples that our listeners have sure. have uh, I'll be all called ready. in. All right, so first Jesus taught by example. He, he taught people what he wanted them to do by setting an example for them to imitate. In John 13, beginning verse 12, after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For, no, for I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Yeah. Now, we could get off track here a little bit and talk about Foot washing, which we don't think Jesus was teaching a ceremonial foot washing. We think he was teaching the principle of serving one another. But notice he said, I've given you example. Do as I do. So Jesus taught by example, just like that mom who busied herself cleaning, hoping the kids would see her and imitate her example. Jesus set an example and he wants us to imitate his example. So example is one way that Jesus exercised his authority. One verse that uh, both uh, Kent and Jared referenced along these lines is First Peter chapter two verse twenty one and following. For even here, here in two were you called because Christ also suffered for us, 
leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you're healed. So Peter says, look at Jesus, look at his example. When he was being mistreated, he didn't mistreat the ones who were mistreating him. He suffered, leaving us an example. And so, so, example, Jesus definitely taught by example. Yeah. Point one. I think we see that Jesus also made, he implied things from which we are to infer conclusions. Sometimes we refer, we refer to them as necessary inferences or inescapable conclusions. Jesus implied some things. In his teaching, for instance, when he was dealing with the Sadducees who did not believe in life after the grave, he said in Matthew 22, verse 31, beginning as touching the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, that quote, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that quote comes from when God spoke to Moses on the burning at the burning bush uh, in the book of Exodus, but Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been dead for centuries at that point. But God said, "I am the, not I was, but I am." Something's implied in the fact that He said, "I am," and what we should infer from that is. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still living. Yeah. They still exist. They didn't cease to exist when their physical bodies died. And so Jesus taught by implication. And and that, that's another way that we figure out from the scriptures what we're supposed to know and what we're supposed to do. So example, implication, and inference. Then uh, Jesus used plain statements in John 3, verses 3 through 5, Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, that's just a statement. That's not, that's not, that's not a command. Uh, it's a plain, very direct Directly, easily understood statement of fact, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So just stating facts, just just laying it out there in the the open, stating facts is a way of conveying information that tells you what you're. So Jesus just made the factual statement. If you're not born of water and spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And therefore, that would lead me to the positive conclusion. I need to be born of water and the spirit. So I can enter the kingdom of God. Yep. Kent and uh, Calhoun, Georgia references Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A, a statement. Yeah. Jesus will give us rest. So yeah. I want to go to him. Exactly. Okay. And then finally, the I think the easiest one to understand is direct command. Uh, and Jesus made a lot of direct commands. Mark sixteen fifteen. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He told his disciples, go. And that, and by the way, when we look at Matthew's account of the Great Commission, that command filters down to us today. We're, we are to go and teach. Uh, very straightforward. That's the, really the easiest one of all to understand. What am I supposed to do? Well, you do what he commanded you to do. 
And one of the commands there, and there's lots of others, but one of the commands is go and teach. Yeah. All right. And, uh, uh, Jared in uh, down in Georgia tonight, he said, Jesus used direct commands and plain statements to answer the devil in Matthew 4, verses 3 through 11. So Jesus answered the devil with direct commands like, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, things like that. Jesus is making uh, direct statements, and we learn what Jesus wants us to do by those direct statements. All right. So, All right. so again, what we wanted to illustrate with that is that Jesus used the same methodologies of in, by, in conveying information that we do. He taught by example, implication, plain statement, and direct command. As we said at the outset, there's really no other way that human beings communicate with each other. If he, if Jesus wanted us to do something, how else would he go about telling us what to do? I don't think there is another way. Interesting comment that Jared makes tonight. He says, Jesus expected people to use proper reason and God's word to come to the proper conclusion. So he expects people to be able to draw logical conclusions from the things that he's taught. He references Luke 12, verse 54 beginning and he said to them uh, to all, also to the people when you see a cloud rise out of the west straightway you say there cometh a shower and so it is and when you see the south wind blow you say there will be heat and it cometh to pass you hypocrites you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth but how is it that you do not discern this time yea and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right and so he jesus expected them to be able to look to the scriptures and draw conclusions i really think that's important uh God gave us minds and expects us to use them. He gave us the capacity to reason and, and logically draw conclusions, and he expects us to use our minds. Uh, and, and what we're talking about tonight is using our minds, going to his word, drawing from it what he expects from us to do and not do. And being committed to doing what we yeah, see there. Yes, exactly right. Absolutely. All right. So. We see it in in the case of Jesus. Do we have time to, to dive into the apostles' examples? Let's, I think we do. Dwight okay. is out in Iowa tonight. He says, in John, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Direct command to keep I his like commandments. That. A command to keep the commandments. What do you? How, how much clearer can you be than that? Yeah. A All command right. to keep the commandments. Good one. All right. Um, we I had a note that doesn't really follow the sort of the outline of what we were going to uh, the way we want to approach this question tonight. But Stephen uh, in Georgia sent in an email, and one of the points he made is that we got to be careful to observe the context of statements. And I think that's always true in Bible study. You know, make sure you're adhering to the context in which statements are made. I think that's a, that that's sort of a uh, an overall rule of Bible study, uh, more so than how to establish Bible authority. That's just a good necessary rule of Bible study. You got to take things in context. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, All and right. you can get, get you in a lot of trouble if uh, maybe you take your spouse's statements out of context, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe your wife or your husband says something and you don't put it in the right context. Kyle, you might say something to me. You know, we're passing in the hall. You say something. To, oh, Kyle just you know said, said something there. Didn't that, that wasn't very friendly, but it was out of context. Maybe Pro- so. probably all of us have had that situation where something we said was taken out of context, and people maybe got upset with us because they didn't they didn't they didn't observe the context in which we said something. That's a very important rule yep, Bible yep. study. Okay. okay, real quickly, let me show that the apostles. Use these same methodologies. For okay. instance, example. Uh, 
Paul said in Philippians 4, verse 9, those things which he have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So Paul said that the example that he set was authoritative. Do what you saw me do. Follow my example. So here's what we, we sometimes refer to that as apostolic or approved apostolic example. So when the apostles were acting in accordance with the will of God by revelation, they set an example, and we're to imitate their example. They taught by example. They taught by implication as well. The Hebrew writer, now now get this, uh, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 7 verse 12, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Now notice, something's implied there. There must have, there must necessarily, the Old Testament priesthood must have been abolished and a new one takes its place because Jesus didn't come from the tribe of priests in the Old Testament. The tribe of priests in the Old Testament was was Levi. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. There must necessarily have been a change in priesthood because Jesus wouldn't even be a priest under the Old Testament system. And so something's implied by the fact that Jesus comes from a different tribe, therefore a different priesthood. Okay, all right. Okay, so the apostles used the example implication they also made plain statements galatians three twenty seven. for as many of you as have been baptized into christ put on christ we put on christ by baptism plain statement but it definitely teaches the importance of baptism and then finally they made direct commands second thessalonians 3 verse 6 paul said now we command you brethren in the name of our lord jesus christ that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us they made direct command. And Jared references a few verses earlier than that, Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse four, where Paul said, "And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you." Paul had the expectation yeah. that when we, people read what we expect you, what that, we wrote, you're going to do it. We would expect you to do what you've been commanded to do. God told us to tell you to do this. Do it. Yeah. All right. Very good. Very good. So again. Uh, Let's see, have we got anything? Well, what have we got from Kent there? Uh, he says statements, including commands, were used by the apostles, Acts 2.38. Uh, Acts 20, verse 7, implications and inferences, Romans 10.9 and 10. Um, nowhere in the New Testament is it explicitly states that Paul made the good confession in order to become a Christian. However, because such is a universal command that is essential to our salvation from sin, such implies that Paul made the confession regarding the deity of Christ. So he's got direct commands like repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's a statement or a command. Uh, Acts 20, verse 7, the implication is that the, the disciples met every first day of the week to observe the Lord's Supper, as we've often discussed on the virtual Bible study. And then implication, uh, things, in other words, Romans 10, 9, 10 says, with the heart man believeth unto to, uh, uh with the heart man believeth unto righteous, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But you can't read anywhere where it says that Paul confessed his faith in Jesus. But it certainly would have to be a necessary inference because Paul did what was necessary to be a child of God. So we draw a conclusion. 
So again, the apostles did the same thing that Jesus did in regards to how they conveyed information. Ricky's in the chat room tonight, and Ricky says, Common, everyday, effective communication uses all three approaches to convey information. In fact, try communicating very long, for example, a letter recounting a family reunion without them and see how unintelligible you become. Even this brief note contains these statements. And so Ricky says... These elements, yeah. These elements. These, so Ricky's just saying this, what we're talking about is we're just talking about how you interpret communication from someone else. Yeah. You look at those direct statements. You look at those uh, commands. You look at those examples or those inferences or necessary uh, conclusions. You look at those things, and that's how you can determine the meaning of some of instructions. And that's what we're looking at in the Bible tonight. We're going to take a quick break, get this week's bullet point when we get back, where we're going after that. Well, we want to talk about some other aspects of Bible authority. For instance, what do you do when the Bible is silent on us? I mean, does, does silence limit us? Does biblical silence limit us? Or does it give us license to act? What do we do when the Bible is silent? So we're going to install a flying trapeze in the auditorium. Because uh, the Bible didn't say anything didn't about say it. You couldn't have flying it doesn't trapeze say anything about it. In the Bible about you, know, we could do that on, in worship. Why not? The yeah. Bible doesn't say not to. Yeah. We're going to get that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The verse of Bible study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Wayne with this week's bullet point. He rudely gulps down his food, pausing only long enough for a conspicuous burp along the way. In his haste, some of his dinner dribbles down his chin and onto his already soiled shirt. When he's finished, he offers no thanks, and without considering the concerns or needs of others, he settles down for a nap. When he wakes, chances are he will begin immediately to make demands on those around him for some additional attention or some service to ensure his own comfort. How can we tolerate such a thoughtless and ungrateful individual? Easily. He's a baby. We expect this type of conduct from infants. It's normal. But slowly, gradually, we teach them. In time, they learn to think of others, to express appreciation, to offer help. If this progress does not happen, we begin to look for reasons why. Is there some failure in the child's learning ability? Some lack in parenting skills? We must find the answer. Consider the spiritual parallel. A particular Christian frequently sins. He manifests a real lack of Bible knowledge. He often offends his brethren by words and deeds that are not befitting of a child of God. He is truly spiritually weak. How can we tolerate such a person? Because he's a babe in Christ. He has not matured in his spiritual life. But this situation cannot go on indefinitely. He must be taught, and in time he must more fully learn his duty to God, his brethren, and all men. He grows, and as he does, he sins less frequently. If this progress does not happen, we ought to be looking for reasons why. What is lacking? Is there something wrong with his personal commitment? Are we failing him in the matter of teaching and encouraging him? We must find the answer. That's what you do when babes don't grow. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Hunter. I'm 11 years old, and I love listening to the virtual Bible study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight. As to remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Check out our streaming of our services at our homepage, collegeview.com. You can get that to that page from thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Uh, you can check out archives or maybe just watch some sermons that have been recently presented to the College of Church of Christ. 
Uh, and if you have any questions about something you've heard on the program, what we might believe or what we might practice, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. So we've got two sets of video archives running now. One, of course, is the virtual Bible study. Uh, we've got archives on our, our page, the virtual Bible study. You can link up to our YouTube channel, and you can see archives of lots of past programs there. And now we've got this other YouTube channel. And the, and if you go directly to YouTube, find it at College View Live Feed, and you can see archives there of all of our Bible studies and worship services. And so we got a lot of, of we're really employing YouTube here lately. There's a lot of information out there in YouTube, in YouTube land. Now, Kyle, uh, I can subscribe to that, and I can also get notified when you turn that streaming on, right? Yeah, which uh, if you've been watching YouTube, like a little bell or something. You <laughs> yeah, there you hit the subscribe button. It's also right beside a little bell. You hit the if you hit the bell, you get notified anytime we start a stream. You get a notification. So yeah, so you'll know. Anytime so you we're can't live. forget. You can't sleep through church anymore. That'd be really helpful yeah. because I think sometimes people will say, "Oh, I meant to watch the first oh, Bible study and I forgot. To, <sighs> I forgot." So subscribe to both of those. Yeah. Uh, I want to give a, what we're doing a little housekeeping here, Jacob. I want to give a, an update about an. An upcoming thing on the virtual Bible study, May the 9th. May the 9th. Thursday, May the 9th, we have scheduled an online debate between one of our regular correspondents, Kent uh, Bailey, who is down in uh, Calhoun, Georgia. Uh, and he's going to be discussing the instrumental music question from a guy, and I believe he's in Johnson City or Upper East Tennessee, Bob Robertson. And, there, and, and, and Bob Robertson is going to take the position that we can, maybe even should, be using instrumental music in our worship. Kent Bailey is going to be taking the position that it's not authorized, what we're talking about tonight, authority. We don't have authority to use instruments of music in New Testament worship. It's a really important question. We've talked about it often on the virtual Bible study, but this is going to be different because we're going to have two guys... We had a, a, an online debate a few weeks ago uh, on the self-defense question, and we had lots of interest lots of, in lots that. Of inter- and lots of comments about people that really benefited from that. Now, <coughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sort of wondering if they didn't benefit because we didn't talk very much. Yeah, we, on those nights, we don't have to do much talking. These two these two individuals will be doing the talking as we, we give them the airways to conduct a little mini-debate on the instrumental music. both sides of the argument. And yeah. then we can sit back and listen and compare the arguments to what the Scriptures say and say, yeah. who's telling us like God intended it to be told? Yeah, yeah. just a little over a month away now, so be be okay. listening. We'll keep trying to hype that uh, in the weeks, upcoming weeks. May the 9th, though, is the scheduled time for this mini-debate on instrumental music. Should be good. All right, we're getting back to the discussion now about principles of Bible authority exemplified uh, in the Bible. How do you do, how do we go to the Bible? Why call you me Lord, Lord, and I do not the things which I say? How do I go to the Bible and find out what God wants from me in my life, his will for me in my life? Okay, so an important question is in regards to what do we do when the Bible is silent on a subject? Does it give us license to act or are we are we limited because the Bible hasn't authorized? I, I want to go back to that verse that we read in Hebrews 7, beginning verse 12, where there must be a change in the priesthood because he for, of whom these things is spoken pertaineth to another tribe which no man gave attendance to the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. Notice, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. So Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. 
And and the Hebrew writer is saying he, he therefore could not have been a priest under the Old Testament system because Moses said nothing about priests from Judah. He didn't say you could. He didn't say you couldn't. He didn't say anything about priests from the tribe of Judah. And the right conclusion would, was then, therefore, priests can't come from Judah. You can't act upon what was what the, the the message was silent on that subject. Therefore, Jesus would not have been authorized to to be a priest because nothing was said about priests from Judah. Here's one that might bring it to modern times. How about same-sex marriage? You know, the Bible never says that two men can't get married. It condemns homosexuality. Let's be clear about that. Okay, it does. But it doesn't. But 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 in regards to marriage. It identifies it as one man, one woman. That's right. It's silent on the other. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't say two men can't get married. No. That does condemn. I mean, I think clearly so, it condemns homosexuality. Yeah. But but in in where are you at first? Matthew nineteen. Go ahead. Matthew nineteen verse four. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Male and female. It is, it's male and female. Yeah, now that ex- that excludes everything else, doesn't it? Uh, uh, and in First Corinthians seven, verse two, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. And so, uh, the, the 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 scriptures have spelled out what is acceptable marriage. It doesn't say same sex marriage is condemned, or you can't same same sex couples can't get married. But we would we would conclude based on the silence of the scripture that it's not authorized. Right. In first Peter four, verse 11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. I would not be able, Jacob, to go. I could not be speaking as the oracles of God and say that two men marrying or two women marrying is good. I couldn't say that and be speaking as the oracles of God because the oracles of God don't say that. Right. I could, right. I couldn't give my blessing to that. Because the scriptures are silent on that subject. Having right. defined what g- godly marriage is, it's silent on anything else. Yeah. Uh, in Second John, verse 9, it says, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and Son. It would be going too far to speak to subjects that the Bible doesn't address and assume that we can act Although the Bible hasn't given us that authority. Right. Uh, and, and again, there's a lot of common sense to that. Um, so you're on the job and, and, and you're doing your job, uh, but you take it on yourself. Uh, you know, I'm a machine operator. I operate a lathe, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I know the part that I'm supposed to be making on this machine that I run but I decided that I'm kind of cramped on space here, and I'm going to knock out the wall over here and expand the shop 10 feet in that direction. Into the office area. Yeah. You know what the boss would say? Who told you to do that? Yeah. I never told you to do that. Yeah. Well, you didn't tell me not to do that. Yeah. I'd lose my job that day. Yeah. Right. So we understand that principle in, in everyday life. And we need to understand it when it comes to biblical things. Silence does not authorize us to act. Back to my example of the flying trapeze in our worship service. Now, that's somewhat of a hyperbole, but unfortunately, that's not too much of an exaggeration these days because we hear about churches that are having rodeos as part of their worship. 
the church that uh, put a bull riding ring in the middle of their uh, their sanctuary, their their auditorium. They're riding bulls in worship. They're shooting fireworks. Shooting fireworks. Well, the Bible didn't say not to ride a bull in worship. Is it okay? Well, if that's your authority, if you're going to use your authority to say, well, the Bible didn't say not to, then the guy can ride the bull on Sunday morning in worship service. Yeah. But what the Bible has told us is how God expects us to worship him, and therefore we need to be worshiping him the way that God said, and we shouldn't be going and say, well, the Bible didn't say not to do this, so I can. No, we worship God. We do things that God authorized us to do. And when it's silent, we say, well, God hasn't authorized us to do that. We're not going to do it. Um, Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, uh, he's he's our brother who's going to be conducting this debate, by the way. We, we often refer to Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, and Kent Bailey in Calhoun, Georgia, is the one who's going to be debating on May 9th on our program uh, on the instrumental music question. He said biblical silence is not authoritative. And then he uses the example of Hebrews 7, verse 12, that I was mentioning earlier. The Lord said nothing concerning about... priests from Judah. Yeah, okay. And then Jared uh, says, we can't act in faith if God has not spoken. He references those two verses we started with tonight. Romans ten seventeen, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And Romans 14, verse 23, whatsoever is without faith is sin. So if I can't go to the scriptures and have confidence, then I'm just doing it on my own, and I'm not doing it by faith, and it is sin. All right, let's grab our last break, and Jacob, when we come back, we're going to talk about the difference between specific and general authority, and we're going to ask a question about expediencies. What are expediencies? Where do they come to play in this matter? All right, we're going to get uh, this last break and then go to the top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Enjoying the Virtual Bible Study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A recent survey showed that a vast majority of Americans believe in miracles. In particular, the study shows that young adults, the so-called millennial generation, who don't typically attend church services regularly and are less inclined to express religious preference or affiliation than their elders, they still profess widespread belief in the afterlife, in heaven and hell and in miracles. Nearly 80% of all Americans, in fact, say they believe in miracles. That information is via the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life. The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning verse 8, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight, going to the top of the hour, talking about how do we get authority from the Bible how do we know what God wants from us? And now we're going to go on and talk about generic versus specific authority. Okay, Help so, me understand that. Okay, now let's let's remember what we've already talked about. We establish authority by direct command, by plain statements, by approved examples, by necessary inference. Uh, so... Those are our methods, but there's there, it, within that broader discussion, 
there is a distinction between things that are specified and things that are left general. Specific authority, when, when God speaks to us specifically telling us what he wants, we're not free to, to change that at all. And the classic example of specific authority comes from Noah in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 14, God told Noah, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we can quibble about what was gopher wood. That's not even really important. Noah knew what it was. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people think maybe it was something like Cyprus or something. Who knows? It doesn't matter. But what we do draw from that is he wasn't at liberty to change that to a different kind of wood. You know, Noah could not have said, gopher, what are you kidding me? I don't like gopher wood. I don't no, like to work. You know how hard that is to work? I don't like to work with gopher wood. And besides that, there's not a lot of gopher wood trees around right around here. We got a lot of oak. Yep. And a good bit of cherry yeah, and pine. Boy, it's pretty in a boat. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and and walnut. You know, you could really do something nice work with I walnut. He didn't say not to use walnut. Yeah. He didn't say not to use anything, but he did say what he wanted. And, you know, I've, when I've talked to people through the years and just tried to make that simple point and asked the question, what, could Noah have built the ark of any other kind of wood? Everybody says, oh, no, 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 he could not. Well, then, when you when you say that, then you're accepting the concept of specific authority. When God specifies, we are not at liberty to change that. And that, that really is closely linked to that subject we were just talking about, silence of the Scriptures. When God doesn't authorize, when he tells you what he wants, he excludes everything else. You you don't have to go down through the list. I've used the example before, you know, when we make an order on Amazon. I, I suppose there are millions upon millions of items available online through Amazon. So I get online to make an order on Amazon, and I want one specific little thing they have for sale there. I don't have to tell them. Now, don't send this, don't send this, don't... I don't have to go through their whole list of millions of things saying, don't send this, don't send this. When I specify what I want, it's understood. I want that and nothing else. That's easy. That's how we communicate. That's what we're trying to say here. This business of Bible authority is not just sort of some sort of mystical church-speak kind of thing. This is common sense ways that we communicate. When God tells us what he wants... When he specifies that, then we are not at liberty to change that. We're gonna we're gonna have this upcoming debate on instrumental music. We we understand in the New Testament that vocal music singing is specified in New Testament worship. Notice that New Testament worship. In New Testament worship, vocal music or singing is specified. One of the one of the very frequent comebacks about that is well it doesn't say not to use instruments. Well, it doesn't have to say not to. It said what to do, and therefore everything else is excluded. That's specific authority. Jared put it this way. Specific authority refers to when God authorizes us to, to do a certain thing and tells us how it is to be done. General authority is when God authorizes something but leaves it up to us is how we accomplish it. Kent looks at Mark chapter 16, verse 15 as an example of both. He says, general authority deals with the universal principles that are not specified. Mark 16, verse 15, authorizes going, going to the world, going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So Mark 16, verse 15 says, authorizes going into all the world without specifying a particular means of travel. Any lawful means of travel is therefore authorized. 
Specific authority is authority that is restricted to a particular classification. In Mark 16, verse 15, we're restricted as to what we are to preach, the gospel of Christ. And so uh, it says, well, you'd have authority to go into all the world any way that you can go. You'd have authority to do that. But what am I going to preach when I get there? The gospel of Christ. And that's all I'm going to preach. Yeah. And, and I think that's the classic example of general authority. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. This uh, My quote is from Matthew 28, 19. Uh, Kent used Mark 16, 15. Those are both accounts of the so-called Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Go. Go is a general command. And so we know in the New Testament they walked. They rode on beasts. They sailed in ships. They also actually went by way of written word conveyed on, on printed page, a hand-printed page. So there were a lot of ways to go in the first century. There's even tons more ways for us to go today to get the message out. We're authorized. We can go. We can go by the Internet. And and the Internet, uh, the virtual Bible study is is heard all over the world. We frequently have a, a, a correspondent who... who Talks to uh, who sends in messages to us from Australia. Well, we didn't physically travel to Australia, but we got there through the internet. But we're authorized to do that. We're authorized to go. Uh, go is a general command, and that is where this last question comes to play. The last question is: What are expediencies, and how do they factor into this question of of uh, uh, Bible authority? So, Ex- expediency. Do, do what? Go ahead. Oh, expediencies are judgments. We apply our judgment. What is the best way to accomplish the instructed command? Now, when you think about that, expedience could only therefore apply when we are dealing in areas of general authority. When God specified something, you can't... uh, Specification eliminates choice, but general authority leaves us open to make choices. So go and go, therefore, and teach all nations. Well, I think the best way to go is on an airplane. You might prefer a car. You think you can do better going to a particular destination by car? I prefer flying on an airplane. Well, both are authorized, and so it becomes a question of our judgment as to right. what's most effective on this particular trip to preach the gospel so expediencies are choices a means to the end but they can only be applicable when we have general authority not when god has specified what he wants done and how he wants it done all right uh can't put it this way an expedient is a means or method of achieving a particular end before anything may be scripturally considered an expedient it must be first authorized authority is not ascertained by expediency such as carried out by such i think that's right and uh, Jared says expediencies are things that assist us in carrying out God's will. They must themselves be authorized by general authority. You know, they, both those both those guys made a good point there. It has uh, expedients have to be authorized. So I, I I need to go. Last week I traveled to to Houston, Texas, to preach. I need to get to Houston, and I need to buy. I'm going to buy an airplane ticket. I flew on an airplane to Texas, but I don't have any money. To buy the ticket, I'm going to go rob a bank to get money so I can go. I'm, I'm, I'm instructed to go and preach the gospel. I'm going to rob a bank to get money to buy an airplane ticket to go to. Everybody say, that's stupid. That's obviously ridiculous. 
no way. Well, that's what we're saying. Expedients themselves have to be authorized. You can't use a, you can't use an unlawful thing and claim that it's an expedience or a means to the end if it's if it's in itself a condemned thing. Uh, now, I think a lot of people really miss it badly on this question of expedience because they actually say most people in the religious world today say any means to an end. If the end is good, the means of getting there is okay. So we want to attract people to hear the gospel. Well, you know, we could do that by feeding them a, a sit-down, you know, five-course meal. Or some people tape a hundred dollar bill. Or ta- we, we, you know, we could fill the place up if if everybody knew that we had hundred dollar bills taped under the seats, and you could get one. But those those would be they would accomplish the desired end. The desired end is to fill every seat Sunday morning. But doing that is not authorized. The expedient itself is not authorized. Expedients have to be authorized. All right, a good discussion tonight. A very important discussion. It's uh, it's fundamental that we be able to ascertain God's will for us. You know, the scriptures tell us that we can understand God's will uh, and that it's not something that uh, is just some mystery. God's revealed his word and his will for us, uh, but um, we we must understand it and uh, apply it in our lives. I, I really think, I, I hope if we haven't conveyed anything else in our study tonight, we've we've made the point that this is how communication takes place. This is not mystery church speak. This is how we use language to communicate with one another. We do it all the time on every, on everyday matters. God does it this way in his word. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Wherefore, be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. How do I go to the scriptures and understand the will of the Lord? That's what we've been talking about tonight, and that's very absolutely critical. We need to understand how to look at the scriptures and ascertain from that what God wants from me. Exactly right. Kyle, comments from that side of the board tonight? Yeah, it's good. It was a good study, I think. We don't have to wonder what, our, what, uh, what God thinks, what he wants us to do. It's written down and expressed for us in our Bible, so we need to make sure we abide by that. So it's a good lesson. All right. Uh, we got a note in the, in the uh, chat room. Dwight in Iowa said it's sad that many brethren will say, well, it didn't say we have to attend on Wednesday night Bible study. That's a whole nother subject, Dwight. But uh, so what Dwight is saying, they're trying to use that argument. It doesn't say that we have to. Uh, this becomes a question about commitment and love for the Lord. We would be quick to agree. The New Testament never mentions anything about Wednesday night. And so we would approach that question by saying, where's your commitment? Why would you not want to? All right. Good discussion, and thanks, uh, Kyle, for being here. Uh, thank you, Dad, for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for listening and hope you benefit from our study and discussion of God's Word. And we encourage you, if you have questions or comments, agree or disagree with what we've said on the program tonight, we want to hear from you. Questions at collegeview.com is the way you get in touch with us. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. 
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.